Check one, two. Go! Curious about real estate? Yes! Then you've come to the right place. Get the knowledge you need. Get over the fear and get started. This is the Michael Quarles Real Estate Show with your host, Michael Quarles. Hello, everybody. Michael Quarles with the Michael Quarles Real Estate Show. And I have some fun news for you guys and gals. You know, I do a podcast a couple times a week. And you know that I have the daily deals that we put up that, you know, you can listen to seller calls and that kind of thing. And some of you probably have recognized that we have interviews on our site. And so far, we've done 19 of them. And I stopped doing them all this last year because I just got super busy. Apologize about that. I know it's kind of selfish. But I got super busy, and so I postponed those or put them on hold, took a sabbatical from them. But I'm excited to tell you that I have started them up again. And today, I'm happy and proud to let you know that I have Damien Lupo on our show on episode interview number 20. And I'm going to invite him in and ask him to tell us about himself in a second. And I am not going to give it away. If you have 30 minutes, this is going to be a fun conversation. We discussed some things that, you know what, I, I enjoy these because I get to learn something. And we're discussing th- some things that I learned today. And that's cool, cool for me. I thought I was an old dog. You couldn't teach me any new tricks. But man, he threw this bone out there and I think I'm going to go fetch it. Cool stuff. Here we go. Go ahead and tell us about yourself, sir. Well, Michael, my background is kind of interesting in, in the real estate world. I, I spent uh, the first five years of kind of my entrepreneurial life digging into real estate. And this was, it was because I was selling insurance in the late 90s. And it, when I saw the biggest agents out there, the ones that were really killing it, they were making a million bucks a year. And I, that for me, that wasn't enough. For, you know, for a 20-year-old, apparently a million dollars a year is, is not enough. And I, I was thinking big, and, and I, I read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which probably a lot of your listeners have, have read, and watched a, an infomercial at 2 o'clock in the morning, and then got all excited about real estate. It was, I forget what it was, flipping houses or something, and went to a seminar and started buying real estate, buying single-family houses, first one being a, a house that a buddy of mine brought to me on New Year's Eve, 1999, and I ended up buying it with my, my credit card. I used my Visa card. To, to buy this house with the cash advance. And then because I, I think because I was, I was young and kind of naive, didn't really know what the rules were, had dropped out of college, I wasn't really playing by any rules. I was just making them up and went on to use every possible creative method for all these different seminars I had gone to and books and ended up buying 150 houses over the next five years in seven different states. So it was kind of an explosion of, of real estate. And that's, that's really what started my my big picture big creation big execution uh, process in the real estate and and business world so it's kind of a, a bit of a background that I think a lot of people can appreciate or or maybe even want to sort of go down that path uh, that are listening to to the show today I think having or, or not knowing what you were doing which is sounding like what you were describing was what allowed you to have success a lot of us yeah we, yeah we know too much therefore we have you know the fear base model, then we start telling ourselves we can't do something, when in fact, if we'd say we can do it, we would probably accomplish it. Did you make your million dollars? I I made my million dollars many times over. I, I It's funny, I've got some interesting million dollar 
uh, pieces. So at one point I had a million dollars in credit card debt because I had been going crazy and I wasn't really paying attention. I, I spent over a million dollars on personal development and I ended up making the million 20 times over. So yeah, I had lots of different million dollar pieces. And, and then part of the story was that because I had been driving this thing so hard, I didn't really know what I didn't know, which helped me get it going. I also didn't know what to pay attention to. And when all this money was coming in, I, I decided it made sense to, to get the Ferrari and, and have a very big lifestyle. And ultimately my ego drove that, that show right off a cliff. And so later in 2007, 2008, I, I ended up having that, that $20 million portfolio vaporized, turned into ether. And that was, that was the danger in, in going really fast and not having the accountability that we really need if we're going to build up something sustainable. Because you can make a million dollars. The question is, can you keep it? And I, I think that that's a really important question in the beginning. And oftentimes we don't know the answer. And even if we said, yes, we can, we wouldn't know how to do it. So getting some feedback from people like, like you and all the things that you're teaching with your show and, and, and people that you speak with, sharing the, the stuff that we've been through so people can avoid the same exact mistakes that, that we've made, which really a lot of them are pretty avoidable. You know, I have found because, you know, we all drive off that cliff at one point in our life, I, th I think anyway. And of course the cliff could be higher for some of us than others. However, we seem to, to, to fall off that thing. And I have found that there's two aspects of my business that I enjoy the most. And that is having a water faucet style business that I can, so I can turn my business off at any point. So I'm not, I'm not a slave to having to earn money. And then assets are key to me. So having the cash and liquid available and not leveraged is an important aspect to my life. What have you found is the most important thing of that trip down the mountain? Well, gosh, there's, there's a ton of things that were, that were important. One of the things you just said uh, that I totally agree with is, is building up the assets so that you can actually have the, the, the flexibility and the choices. I think a lot of people make a mistake, especially with single-family houses, that they end up harvesting them instead of collecting them and having as little leverage. I, I like leverage. I also like a certain amount of leverage. And I ended up doing things that were, they were immature. I would harvest the equity out of things. So I would buy houses, have equity, and then I would sell the equity off or I would refinance. And basically, I just put as much cash as I could in my account very quickly instead of allowing my garden of houses and assets to, to continue to grow and to kick out cash flow. I was busy spending and killing all my trees instead of letting them bear fruit. And it was a huge mistake because six, seven years later, I had millions of dollars and a, a, lot, of, a lot of arrogance, and I didn't have the cash flow that would have allowed me to survive and thrive going forward, even when the markets took a turn for the worse. So being patient and building those assets, sounds like you've done a good job doing that. I blew that completely because I was too, too impatient and too immature, wanting the cash, wanting the bling, wanting the lifestyle way too soon. Well, I'm 55, so I may have, I may be more seasoned than you. So I think so. Probably a little bit more seasoned. Who knows? But, you know, I started in the investment business when I was a, an adult teenager myself. And wow. uh, I had the big S on my chest. In fact, I tell the story that I wrote a, a bad check as the deposit to buy my first property, not realizing they were going to cash the check because naturally I wouldn't. Write the check. <laughs> but, you know, the realtor said, hey, I need a, you know, a deposit for $2,000. And, you know, if you have a checkbook, you must have money, right? So I, I did that. And then I started building on the property before the property was actually closed from an escrow perspective. So I made all the mistakes, but I enjoyed making those. And it actually has found my itself, you know, where I'm at now. So good stuff. Tell me about. Yeah, it, it, go ahead. 
tell me about the length of harvesting that you like. So, because that's an, it sounds like an important word for you. How long should someone dedicate, you know, months, days, years to harvesting? Well, the, Michael, I think the, the, the important thing to do is, is to have some type of comparison. When we think about harvesting a college education, for example, we're going to plant seeds for three, four, five years, and then we're going to go and, and harvest that. And if, if we're looking at real estate, I think it's, it's a rational thing to say, I'm going to plant seeds, I'm going to do something, and it's really going to start paying off in three or four or five years. It doesn't mean it doesn't start paying off early. What it does is it sets you up to be patient and allow things to really root down and so that you're not so anxious because it's really, really kind of dangerous to go in and be wanting to have things turn very quickly. If you have to have them turn quickly and that your entire model is based on that, you don't have the ability to wait things out. And, and so I like the idea of planting the seeds, saying, okay, I'm going to have this house. I'm making these decisions. And I have no intention of doing anything except having solid people renting it for the next three or four years. And really, it's giving it at least that amount of time. That's where I made a ton of money between 2000 and 2004 because I was renting stuff out and I really wasn't planning on flipping anything. I just focused on building the asset base. And so when things shot up in value, it wasn't, I wasn't trying to spin them in one year. Over the three, four years that I had been buying and holding, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, the market rewarded me. And so that, that seems to be like a pretty good, a pretty good uh, amount of time to allow things to grow. Yeah, I, you know, I'm a, I'm, you know, at my core, I'm a, a flipper mainly because I like bucket loads of money. Mm-hmm. However, that is a dangerous model if you're not responsible to the bucket. And the other, the other reason I like it is because I'm a terrible landlord. Meaning, I have found myself in a place in life where collecting a payment isn't as important as it it was at one time in my life. So I sometimes I would not, and so that makes a for for a horrible landlord, responsible landlord anyway. I, I, I may have been a, a worse landlord than than you or that you think you are. I, I remember having a pile of houses. I think I probably had about 50 or 60 houses at the time. And I remember looking at one of them and trying to figure out where the rent payments were. And I checked my books and I checked my partner. And, and ultimately, we realized we had had somebody move in in March. And here it was November. And they hadn't made payment. They made a payment yet. So I'm pretty sure that is a an excellent case of being a disaster of a landlord when you don't even ask for rent for eight months. I think when you forget about your property, I think that's a good indication that maybe you need a manager. And, you know, we can yeah, no kidding. for as long as we understand we're not a manager and we're not a technician and vice versa. So I think those are components that if, if we don't realize who we are, can get in our way and destroy us. Tell me about your, your personal life. What do you, what do you, what's fun for you? Well, my, my personal life, I, I am in, involved in uh, martial arts. That's where I spend most of my time when I'm not Is that like working on my business. Something? Is that like painting? Martial arts. Just kidding. Martial arts. It's the it's sort of the the, the landscape or the the, uh, the canvas is the dojo where where we kind of throw each other around and and um, and it's it's funny because the the art that I've been studying for almost twenty years is aikido and it's this art of blending and the art of conflict and I think we can all agree that there's plenty of conflict out there and so having that experience of of teaching and training I'm able to bring those lessons into the real world and the real world lessons into the dojo and train and teach. And, and so it's, it's a very cool way to integrate the fun and the, the business, which is also fun, just the kind of the nighttime into the daytime and, and vice versa. So I've been doing that for, for years, and it's probably my favorite thing to do. You know, I, I have been a lifer from enjoying the sport myself. 
although I don't have any black belts, because I took the guerrilla approach, was just getting in there and fighting instead of learning how to fight. But I was listening to Sean Hannity yesterday, and he was talking about why he works out and why he trains in the martial arts. His his The reasoning behind it, I thought, was pretty clear and exactly why I did. And his reasoning was as so if he ever needed to protect himself for those that he loved or cared about, that he could. And I think that, you know, whether we get the enjoyment out of it or not and the physical reward from it or not, having the security that we can defend, I think, is pretty valuable. Only those people that have ever been in a situation where they not necessarily fell back on it but knew they could fall back on it would understand that. So. Yeah, I, I agree, and that's that's really why why we train. It's it's to create this this ease to move through life without the fear, and it's it's why we build up assets in a way. It's, it's to have this this confidence or security or, or a, a real a feeling that you can move and you're not in in fear. I, I I see so many people, including my own parents, that were always in fear of money, and so many people that are in fear of going out into into the the cities or traveling because they're afraid of what's out there. And so building that confidence, there's only one way to do it. You can't study money and you can't study martial arts. You have to go do them. With, with real estate, you've got to go do something. With martial arts, you've got to go out there and it's going to be a little painful when you fall down or you get hit and then you keep moving and you realize there's no saber-toothed tiger that's going to eat you in either of these cases. You're going to get stronger and you're going to have more, more inner power by just going through and stepping into the fire. You know, martial arts and, and real estate investing are great analogies for one another because you know, I, I remember vividly knocking someone out when I was very new in the, the martial arts training curve. And at the time, I thought I was a superstar. Man, I must be good and, and realized it was luck. I think a lot of folks will go down the arena of buying their first or second house and thinking, man, I'm a superstar, where a lot of that was just luck. Now, doing something yes. on purpose over and over again, having repetition is actually what creates success and builds a business model that you can depend on so you can have exponential growth. Because ultimately, I think that's where we're all headed or we want to head. I certainly don't want to have a J-O-B. Glad that I don't. So what else is fun? Are you married, kids, dog, cat? No, yeah, I, I, have, I have a team. I, I have, I, I'm not married, no kids. Uh, I, have, I have an amazing team, and it's kind of a family because we've, we've created something in, in what we're building together we're, we're building it based on a mission to, to disrupt something that we all kind of have this inner, not hatred, but maybe hatred towards Wall Street. We're disrupting Wall Street. And so we, it's this family, we, and we work and we play together, we travel together. And so we're all, we're all on this mission. And, and I, I've never had this much fun. So I, it's, if people could do something that they love and they don't have one of those jobs they hate that they're thinking about retirement with, then I think they could relate to this because I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it. I'm so excited about it. And it's, I can't imagine how doing anything else would be more fun than this. So I kind of have 10 or 12 hours of fun every single day. I, I understand. But tell me about the hatred that drove to this fun. And tell me about the mission that you, you're on and the group of folks that you're with. All right. Well, so the, years ago, I was, I was watching my, my parents both show up in their 60s and they had played by the rules. They'd done what they were supposed to do. They invested in Wall Street and their 401ks and all this stuff. And they woke up basically 60 years old and didn't have Jack. They they'd put all this money in, and there just wasn't that much there. And, and so they bought into a system, and it was it really wasn't uh, it didn't deliver the promise the the promise that if you put X dollars in for 30 years, you'll wake up and it'll compound and blah 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 the sales pitch. And it, I watched them struggle and, and essentially live in fear. And then I, I, a few years ago, I 
sitting down with my dad and, and towards the end of his life, right. He was going through some chemo and, and he, he, he said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm concerned because I'm, I only have X number of dollars and it wasn't that much. And he was concerned that he was going to run out of money because he had to have treatment and he had to have these expenses that were going to totally devour all of his assets because he hadn't built up assets because he bought into the system and he didn't really take responsibility or know there were other options. I firmly believe he checked out that he decided to die earlier than he would have if he'd had assets because he didn't want to be a burden to anyone. And so essentially I lost my father early than if he had had because the assets, he was, if he'd had or, cash. Or didn't do the right thing from a financial perspective in life. Exactly. And, and so there's, there's these alternatives like what we do and what we talk about and share with the real estate that are outside of the wall street system that just really feeds off of people and their, and their fears. And so we're, we're delivering that option. We're delivering the opt out button for lack of a better explanation, being able to get off the roller, the roller coaster of wall street and move into a place where your, your money, your retirement money or all your money is in your checkbook and you're able to buy things like real estate or other alternatives and say, I'm not interested in, in watching the markets go up and down and be subject to that. And so we're delivering that tool. And, and that's the, the passion is that we're getting people off the roller coaster and getting them out of the conflict and the anxiety of what the markets do day to day so that they don't care anymore and they can actually live in peace. Are you, are you talking about like self-directed retirement funds? Explain yeah, that. exactly. Exactly. Can we go into that? Is that is that something we can discuss on a podcast? Yeah, absolutely. The, so the, a lot of times I, what, I, what I hear from people is they've heard about self-directed IRAs, and, and a lot of people have done those. And what, what I'm going to throw out there is that the self-directed IRA is an absolute disaster compared to the alternative, which is a solo 401k. And we've, we've created a unique version of that called the EQRP, and it's actually 10 times better than a self-directed IRA in terms of how much money you can put into it, what you can buy. And let's just really talk about real estate because that's what people are, are interested in. With a self-directed IRA, you have, you have the ability to do some debt. And sometimes we want to have debt, say, on a single-family house and buy it with that debt. The problem is if you make money, if you let's say you flipped a house and you had debt and you were using your self-directed IRA, there's a tax consequence because of the debt. And so if you made, if you made a, a ton of money, you could actually have a big tax bill with a tax-deferred vehicle. And people, a lot of people don't even realize that that's, that, that happens. And even if they do, they don't think that there's an option to avoid that. And there is with an EQRP because you're able to, to use debt and there's no tax at all when you actually sell. So you can make a fortune, use tons of leverage if you want to, and, and you have all profit, no tax. So that's a huge benefit for, for somebody if they're going to be flipping, if they're going to make profit at all. And the, this is like the coolest thing because a lot of people maybe hey, if you ever you've talked about the 1031 or the Starker exchange on the show, people have heard about that. Um, I haven't yet. No. Okay. So if, if someone has a piece of property and they, they want to sell it and they don't want to pay tax, oftentimes the strategy is to do a 1031 exchange where they, they sell the property and then they, they go find a new property and they're going to transfer their gains into the new property. So they get to defer and kind of kick their, their profit down the road so they don't have to pay it now, and they'll pay it someday if they actually pull the money out. Well, there's a different way, a better way, that totally makes the 1031 exchange irrelevant, and that is when you use an EQRP and you use the Roth portion of it. And basically what this means is whatever money you make, you flip a house, you have a rental house, all the profit that you make 
all the time is tax-free, and as long as you're 59 and a half, you can pull the money out as you're doing these transactions, and you can live on it, you can spend it, whatever you want. You don't need to do a 1031. You're, not, you're no longer subject to that, those rules that require you to go buy something new to replace the old thing. You can wait. You don't get forced into a bad deal. So there's these really cool options with the EQRP that are not available with the, the typical self-directed IRA. So I, I actually don't, don't care for IRAs at all. I don't care for the self-directed IRAs. I think there's nothing there compared to these, these self-directed plans like the EQRP. So you can you, um, say I have a fourplex somewhere, mm-hmm. and uh, I have gain on it, either gain because it appreciated. Gain for some reason, either I've refinanced it and I have asset that I've taken out or it's still there, and I sell it. I can push it into an EQRP, and I'm unlimited on the amount of time I have to to do that. Well, what you'd have to do is you'd have to buy that fourplex with your EQRP to start with, and then when you ended up selling it, then you'd be able to do what you wanted. You could keep the money there. You wouldn't have to go invest it somewhere else. You could at some point. There's no time restriction. If you sold it and you it was like personal money that you had that you had bought the fourplex with, you could use that money, and you could depending on how the the income came in, there's some options to get the money into your EQRP. But you really need to start by setting up your EQRP and then using it to go buy those assets so that you are no longer paying tax once you have those assets in the plan. Can I refinance and pull out the the money from the refinance on the properties? If it's inside the plan, you it the money has to stay in the plan. So if I'm 50 so there's half, then I could kind of start pulling it out. No? Yeah, I mean if you're if you're if you're borrowing money out of a property then really that doesn't matter where that if if, if it's in your own name, that's it's a great way to pull money as you know pulling money out with with debt, there's no tax consequence. So it's it's actually a great way to do it, and you don't need a plan for that type of strategy at all. So you sell the property, and then you've, you've gobbled up all your asset in the refi. Right. You don't have any money to pay taxes if you don't you know, create a strategy to, to take care of that, which is why a lot of right. some folks do the 1031s is because they, they realize they don't have the, the asset to pay the debt. That's right. And so that becomes burdensome for people. So how does someone get started in an and, and what is EQRP? Is that, am I saying it right? Yes. Yeah, the EQRP is the Empowered Qualified Retirement Plan. Okay. So it, it came from the, the ERISA Act back in the early 70s, uh, and so it's been around for 40 years. This is nothing new. It's just most people haven't heard of it, and, and they haven't heard of it because there's no real money in it for the Wall Street world because once you have control of your money, you're not paying Wall Street fees anymore ever again. And so that's kind of a good thing for you and not really good for Wall Street, so they're not going to tell you about it in their marketing. And, and if that resonates, it's the, the best way to, to get started with that is, is to get educated about it. And I wrote a book a few years ago on it, and I would love to give people that book and, and uh, offer to them if, if they want to go to totalcontrolfinancial.com forward slash Michael. And I, there's a, a place where you can ask for the book, and I'll, I'll ship it out to people. And that's really how they would get started, just to educate themselves and and then if it's the right fit, we can take them through the process and put the money in their hands so that they can write checks and, and own their finances. So let me back up a little bit because I, I think, you know, I have two types of audiences. I have an audience that, you know, there's, they want to flip houses. They don't want to have passive income. And then I have the mm-hmm. audience that doesn't want to flip houses. They want the passive income. It almost seems that it works. It could work for both, assuming that the person who flips doesn't need the asset. So Let's assume for a second in my scenario here, I, I want to buy 100 houses a year, and I'm going to make $5 million on those 100. 
I need a portion of that to live on. So some of those I buy personally or my LLC or my corp. And then the majority of them I buy in, could I buy that in, in the EQRP? And my flipping profit just continue to go into the EQRP? And could that buy the next property? Yes, you could absolutely do it in both places. So some of the money is staying inside your plan for the future, and some of it is, is separate, whether it's you individually or, or you with your entity, and that's just doing the deals. So you could absolutely cut it up. So some, some's to eat now and some's to eat later. Yeah, I have a couple of students who they're faced with a large tax burden because you know, they're, they're flipping housing, and they don't need the monthly income. And they go, I just, you know, what can I do with my, my asset? Because it's just going to sit there until my next opportunity. So it, it, if it would work, I can see it as an advantage because they don't want to pay tax. They just want to utilize the funds and not have to pay Uncle Sam now, I guess. Am I well, and let me, let me, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a, a strategy that's not really used much, but it's a very powerful one. Uh, Mitt Romney is very familiar, and that's one of the reasons that he has $40, 50000000 million in his plan is because he's used some of these strategies. And one of the strategies is if, if you're, it's pretty easy if you're over 59 and a half because you can start using the money. But if you're not, one of the really cool strategies that may go away, I mean, this is one of those things that Congress is actually looking at changing right now, is to have, to set up a plan and fund it for, say, a, a grandparent or a parent, hire them, and, and then you are the beneficiary. And so if you inherit a Roth EQRP account, you're able to start taking that money and invest it and actually live on it. So you would be able to flip houses or do rent houses and you wouldn't have any type of tax and you'd be able to spend the money now, even if you were 20 or 30 years old. So that's the inherited version of this that can be a major tool for legal tax avoidance. And it's kind of a, a generational tool, legacy tool that people are, are seeing and really jumping on once they realize it's there. I like those words, legal tax avoidance. Yes. I think some people think tax avoidance is a criminal act, but there are legal ways for us to, to pay less in taxes, and we should take advantage of them if they're, if they're in front of us. And um, Yeah, I mean, it, it, tax avoidance versus tax evasion. A tax evasion, that's, that's illegal, but you should, you should absolutely take advantage of every tax avoidance option in the tax code. That's what the tax code is written for. It's, it's, a majority of it is, is tax loopholes. They're, they're written in there for social engineering by Congress. They want us to do certain things, so why would we say no? That seems kind of silly to me. Right. Absolutely. I agree with that. Uh, this has been fun. It, it doesn't seem like we, we've been on the phone almost a half an hour, but we have. I always ask a question because I'm a little silly, dumber than dirt some days. So I, I always leave a question out that I didn't ask that the, the guest wants to go over and discuss. So what didn't I ask that most people do and that you'd also like to share? What did you not ask that I would like to share? I think one of the things that I love to share is the influencers that are that are in my life and and the the thing that I was missing in the beginning and and what I could share with people if I had gone back in time and and really given myself some advice and and the the two things that I focus on really really hardcore right now are Gary Keller's work with the one with the one thing his book the one thing and Grant Cardone's work with the 10x rule and they're both focal points for the obsession we have and the mission that we're on to make sure that we're focusing on the most important thing with our one thing and this healthy big vision obsession around 10x and and staying focused with those ideas will change everything so that you don't end up getting knocked around all over the place and getting off track 
and having somebody that's giving you constant feedback. I screwed that up, and when I screwed that up, I mean, I didn't have somebody giving me feedback, and at the moment I stopped getting feedback is when I had my ass handed to me. So having somebody you respect, and oftentimes that's a coach, it's somebody that you're, you're paying to give you that coaching on, on what you're doing, what you're missing, seeing your blind spots. That's what I would go back and do from the beginning every time, no matter whether I was running a business or investing, just having those things in place and studying those two characters, amazing difference in, in success. Right. I, I think there's a lot of value in a coach. You know, if we use a lot of them in life. We call them preachers and pastors. Yes. We, we don't, you know, we don't use them for the other five areas of our life. And I think, you know, the, the economic part of our life is very, very, very important, the business part. I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much. Can I invite you back? I would love it, Michael. I really appreciate the time and, and the opportunity, and I'd love to come back anytime. And uh, uh, remind us of the where they can, where people can find you. Absolutely. You can visit us at totalcontrolfinancial.com forward slash Michael, and, and I'd love to send a copy of the book out, and you can learn more about who we are at the website and reach out to me anytime. Happy to reach back and, and help you guys any way I can. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, that was exciting. I enjoy this stuff. I hope you guys took some nuggets away from that. And absolutely, if what he said sounded interesting to you and it sounds like a good tax strategy and a strategy for you, reach out to him. And we'll put up his website on our website so you can refer back to it if you need to. And get his book. Man, anytime someone wants to give you a book to read and you don't take advantage of it, man, I think that's kind of like crazy. You know, anytime we can learn, anytime we can make ourselves better, we should, especially when it's free. And that was episode number 20. So until episode number 21, which will be next week, we'll talk then. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Michael Quarles Real Estate Show. Get more info and stay in touch at michaelquarles.com.